This is the Overclocked Podcast, a regular dose of video game music and conversation from ocremix.org. This week we enjoy an animated conversation with Cuphead composer Christopher Madigan, hear Major Third's take on the very same game in an episode of The Big Ones, and swing into an all-jazz playlist to finish strong. Hey, that's me. (laughs) Whoa, you're not my brother. This disturbs me. I am not. Hi, this is Matthew. This is uh, Major Third, who's going to be doing a section later in this episode. And I'm Steven. I'm Steven, your co-host. As you can tell, I've done my best to try to make my voice as low and uh, get in that really radio voice register that Matthew always brings to the table. But all (laughs) it's done is give me terrible sinuses. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like you lucked out in that regard, though, because Brian is out of commission right now. That is true. He is locked in a room and won't even let me in unless I bring him a glass of ice water, which I've already done at least once today. Mm. We just got home from a trip from Seattle. We were at a convention called PodCon, which is all about podcasts. The good news is I met lots of really awesome people, and I even found some people who love video game music and hadn't heard of our show before or other shows for that matter. So there you go. I feel like that was... A good bit of evangelization that I did. (laughs) Gotta spread the word. The con of this con (laughs) is that it got me and Brian sick. So I'm sorry the episode is a little bit late this week, but thank goodness Matthew is here to rush in and co-host. Everyone give a hand for Matthew, even though we can't hear it. I'm glad glad to do it. I know you're clapping. You better be clapping. Yeah, clapping in your heart. Uh, But man, (laughs) this is not an episode I would have wanted to skip. It's so cool. it's, It's jazz in and out. Oh, yeah. I've been uh, waiting to post this episode with Chris Madigan for a long time. We happened to record it when we were really booked up, and now we're finally able to put it out there. I think it's a really good one. I'm excited about it. I am also excited about it because I haven't heard the uh, interview with Chris, so I'm definitely excited to hear about that because, as you heard, I'm also known as Major Third on YouTube and on here. And I did a whole segment about the music from Cuphead that was composed by Chris Madigan. And it's amazing. And I love it. And I'm definitely curious to hear about his whole kind of process and inspirations and all that stuff. So definitely curious to hear it. Before we move on to the rest of the episode, though, we do have to give another big hand. Get your applause hands ready, everyone. For Peter Bobinski, who is editing the show this week. And he could not have picked a better time because I super don't have the energy (laughs) to edit this episode when we're done recording. All right, guys. Well, that's enough for our little intro. We've gone on long enough. Now it's time to move into the Remix Rewind. The Overclock Podcast is still infested with funk, and this time Jorito is responsible. Tarmac Chill takes R4 Ridge Racer Type 4 out for a spin alongside his trusty co-pilot Zarnax42, who supplies the vocals and, we can only hope, Chex Mix. It just isn't a road trip without Chex Mix.
let's take a dive into the synthy saltwater of Donkey Kong Country with Fathoms, a slow descent into familiar waters. Notux confidently guides us through tunnels of bass and piano keys, darting in between coral reefs, making stops for a surprise or two along the way. Newcomer Halfwalk strides onto the scene as a one-man jazz band, tickling electric ivories from here to Hyrule with a mix called Through the Mirror and Back. The backup band punctuates every swing of the melody, bringing a new groove to a path so well-worn as a link to the past.
A new album approaches! Yorito and the Nikonoru have joined forces to reunite us with an old friend. Resonance of the Pure Land, a Secret of Mana album that never found its footing back in the day, but appears to us now with three discs and a whole forest full of talent. We begin with the classics. Variations of fear weaves together a tapestry slowly rising as one, like flights of birds in a mixed metaphor. Kylock leads the charge with Bree and Trev Wingnaw as backup, harmonizing with each other until the satisfying end. And now for something completely different. Game Metal bursts onto the scene and scatters our metaphorical flock of birds with Flying Fortress of Fear, a bright and bold look at the more shredding side of Secret of Mana. But don't worry, those birds circle back to form a mosh pit because they know a jam when they hear one.
And now for something else completely different. Guifrog, beads of sweat gathering on his brow, creates a wildly percussive, jam-packed folk EDM arrangement called Footsteps of Destiny using mad skills, Chris Amaterasu's violin, and a literal pair of actual shoes. Brings the phrase toe-tapping rhythm to a new level, huh? Winter vanishes in the blink of an eye with Rexy's sunshiny take of Secret of Mana, Azure Your Cause. The pop synth sound reminds us all to look on the bright side now and then, even when the fog is pressing in all around, and this mix makes that easier than ever.
a strange and melancholy sound creeps into the air, not unlike a herd of lost whales crying out from the bottom of a deep ocean. That's how Heavy Viper begins his gorgeous ballad, Reminiscence Beneath a Great Tree. And by the end of its long journey, even the whales are getting into it. Album co-director Jorito and Joy Dreamer lend their voices to a mystical and wondrous chorus of whispers in a mix appropriately titled Whispers. Tied together with a wandering trumpet performance by John Stacy, this is a highly mysterious arrangement that puts the secret in Secret of Mana.
Our final Secret of Mana remix of this week comes from Rebecca E. Tripp, a composer whose musical style seems to have been waiting for this moment since the dawn of time. Walking through the still night stirs, rustles a veil of vines and chimes with every step. And hey, I think those birds are back. these remixes and more head over to ocremix.org Welcome back, everybody, to another interview on the Overclock Podcast. I'm Steven, your usual host. It's no surprise at all. And I'm sure I've been talking about this throughout the past couple of weeks because I'm very excited about the soundtrack and the composer who put it together. Today, we have Christopher Madigan on the show, who you might know from Cuphead. Hey, Chris, welcome to our program. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I have like a million questions. Let's start with the really basic one, which is, who are you? And how did you get involved with this project? So I am more known as a uh, orchestral percussionist. That's sort of my main gig in Toronto. But I play a bit of jazz, drum sets and other things. So I got involved with the project because Chad and Jared, who are the developers from Studio MDHR, I've been friends with them since about grade five. So it's probably like 25 years now-ish. 
so when they started doing this, which was, I started writing four summers ago. So like the end of summer 2013. So that's kind of around the time that they asked me. They'd already gotten a bit of the game started at that point. So they asked me if I, I think I was the only musician that they really knew. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of lucky that you fit into a genre that fit their game so well. <laughs> that's kind of extraordinary. Well, I didn't at the time, though. That was the, uh, I kind of turned them down a few times when they asked me, because I was like, no, you guys got to find a real big band composer, not not just an enthusiast. But they sort of stuck to their vision for getting me on board, and I'm glad they did. It was a lot of work, but uh, ended up working out quite well, and it was a really good learning experience. So. so when they came to you, they knew the style they wanted. They were coming at you saying, we need big band. That was more or less Chad. He had already put a certain amount of research into, they were already obviously studying the old cartoons. And he just ended up checking out more music from the era. He knew he wanted to go more of a big band thing. Cab Calloway, Ellington, Benny Goodman. That was the vibe he wanted to go for instead of like, a lot of those old cartoons don't, some of them do have more of a jazz vibe to them, but a lot of them have, I don't really know how to describe it, but some sort of like orchestral or chamber orchestral kind of vibe almost just more cartoony in a sense. Right. It kind of coined the term in a way. Yeah. It's not that he was against that kind of music, but he knew that for something that had to be like this sort of peppy and exciting, he knew that some fast-paced, exciting big band was the direction that they wanted to go in. It has plenty of room to jump into all the subgenres that come along with something like big band and jazz. I feel like it goes from ragtime to swing to march to like some noir stuff. Did the seed of that idea grow slowly as time went on or did you kind of always know you were going to dabble in those areas well no because originally when it was just a straight up boss rush game that was a lot smaller if you watch those really early clips from before the e3 one so from at least three and a half years ago i think those were when the game was a lot smaller and it was just going to be like 10 bosses so there was kind of never any need to look outside of big band and then at the point when they decided that they wanted to expand the game and have some overworld stuff and have some secondary areas and stuff. So that was when I started looking outside of Big Band to sort of differentiate. I didn't want to write only, only Big Band for the whole thing. At some point, we hit upon the idea that it would be nice to have some ragtime in there and probably use that for the overworld map. And then as that sort of grew from like one overworld map to multi overworld maps, it was like, what are some other, you know, you can have the march, which is still a, a ragtime kind of thing. And then we branched out from there. I thought the casino would be kind of neat to have some sort of film noir thing, which is maybe a little, little out of the era. That's maybe like early 40s, I think. It's like stepping one toe out of the comfort zone. Yeah, I want it to be very strict, but not like totally locked into that either like there's a little bit of maybe bebop in some of those things too which is not totally accurate but it works for the game and the ragtime itself was already pretty dated by the time the 30s came around so that's not really like it wouldn't have been like the super cool thing to have going at the time but but that's you know what, what the sting did right the sting was also i think the sting was set in 1936 they used a bunch of ragtime in it too and that's what sparked the second half of the 20th century ragtime revival was just that movie right but that's totally anachronistic as well. It's not the music that would have been happening at that time. We just felt like, if this thing did it, then we'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. You can't be blamed for that. It all kind of comes together and fits a certain mood and tone that just 
does complement the rest of the game style really well. It's almost like it's less mathematical and more of the feel of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a bit of a pastiche, I guess, of those kind of things. We wanted to capture a vibe and we wanted it to be historically accurate, but not so locked into it. So you said you were an enthusiast of big band music, but not necessarily already a composer. What do you mean by that? Have you played for big bands before? Or did you just enjoy listening? I've played in big bands and smaller jazz things. Didn't really play much in any sort of traditional big band context. Like I played in big band in university, but typically don't only play in 1930s swing. You would do more modern stuff. I've always liked jazz and I try and play in trios or quartets whenever I have a chance. I was familiar with the music, but until I was in the position to have to write it, it was never something that I had thought about in that context and studied really hard. Fortunately, it's something that I enjoyed studying because I do like the music. It just ended up taking something that I already enjoyed and really like delving a lot deeper into it and sort of figuring it out. So while you were learning all of this stuff and the game was sort of expanding as you were writing stuff, were you recording anything or was all of this just sequenced or written down somewhere? I mean, I was writing on the keyboard and then putting it into Sibelius to send them to Chad and Jared, just as many demos, basically. They sort of had to trust me that it was going to sound a lot better when real players in an actual rhythm section playing. Did you wait to have all of it written and then try to record it all at once? Or was it more piecemeal? Most of the recording was done, I think, the end of March 2016. We did the first Big Ben session, and that was the very first recording stuff that we did. And then early May, we did all of the ragtime stuff. And then end of June, I want to say, we did the second big band session. And that was the bulk of stuff. Over the course of the next year, as we were like mixing the album and finalizing the recordings that we had made, things would come up in the game and Chad would say, well, we need something for this or that. And so then we'd go in and do a piano thing or piano and percussion or something. But there was a big push to get it finished. I don't think I'm speaking out of school by saying that when you watch the E3 trailer, it said it was going to come out in 2016. So there was a big push to get it ready sort of for then and then got delayed again. But it was nice to have the music basically finished. Ended up reading a lot of books on the creative process over the course of the last few years. And you sort of get into the psyche of a lot of creative minds. But something that comes up a lot is the idea that until you actually have a legitimate deadline, then nothing really gets totally finished. So many tunes were started and like half finished. A lot of them were, you know, 95% done and they were 95% done for years. And I would just go back and you fiddle around with it and it doesn't really get any better. It's just kind of like you're always just fussing around. I think we booked that first session sometime in the middle or the end of February and we'd booked it for the end of March. So that was like, okay, if this long-term deadline is now a short-term deadline for these, you know, however many tunes we recorded. It's a reality that this is going to happen very soon, and you've got to get it out the door. Yeah, and then you actually sit down and finish things. It's quite remarkable. It's kind of the beauty of not knowing what you're doing. <laughs> like, you have, to, you have to take that naive approach to get yourself into a bad enough situation that you need to dig yourself out of it. It can be a learning experience. Absolutely. And, it's, you know, I think that's also the benefit of having a DIY kind of approach instead of having some corporation breathing down your neck and saying, like, we need this done right away. We had a lot of flexibility with that, you know. I didn't work directly with Microsoft, but all I heard about them was that they were just awesome to work with. It was nice that they gave the studio the required breathing room to put out the product that they wanted to do. I know. It actually makes me really happy that such a huge corporation was able to put support behind this game because, A, it's weird. You know, it's a pretty weird product, and I'm, I'm glad it's caught on. And B, 
I think it's introducing a lot of people to big band and, and swing, which just makes me extremely happy. <laughs> yeah, that you know, I put a lot of effort into it, and I wanted to do a really good job because two of my good friends asked me to write music for them, and I didn't want to disappoint them or whatever. But then secondary to that, it kind of occurred to me, I guess, after that E3 trailer took off, and we sort of knew that we might have a potentially fairly large hit on our hands whenever it finally came out. There is the potential there to expose people who either thought that jazz was not their thing or like, you know, it's kind of not cool because it's like jazz, right? Or it had just never bothered to check it out. I also wanted to do a good enough job and make the music interesting so that people would be like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. So hopefully people, if they discover jazz in this way, and there's probably a lot because, you know, the game is selling fairly well, but there's not too many people listen to jazz anymore. So I'm hoping that at least a decent number of people who are willing to go back and like check out and they don't even you know you don't have to go to the 30s like there's a hundred years of this music to you know to listen to that's pretty cool and i think actually a lot of people myself included who are listening to this podcast had video games as their introduction to anything close to jazz like you go back to donkey kong country and that's ripping off of benny goodman or you go to super mario world and you have the ragtime thing i think that's why this music sounds so natural to be in a video game because it fits the source material that you guys put together, but it also just has that frenetic, happy, catchy, kind of jazzy music that I think a lot of people are subconsciously used to from years of gaming. Yeah, you know, I didn't want it to just sound like normal big band tunes either, even if they were like maybe like exciting ones. Like it was still trying to bend what big band is into the quirkiness of what video game music is. We wanted to make complete tunes. We hope that the soundtrack would stand on its own as an album, but it still needed to not sound like it's only a big band sort of thing. Like it needed to have that sort of weirdness, that video game weirdness as well, right? So we were pretty conscious about trying to fit it as much as possible into both worlds. Yeah, and then at the same time, you're trying to, I assume, make it sound like it's crystal clear and have modern production values while reminding you of this sort of vintage authenticity from recordings that you hear from the 30s oh yeah jeremy darby who did we recorded at his studio in toronto canterbury and he did all of the recording and the mixing and engineering for the album and we spent a long time working together getting a sound which is reminiscent of a vintage recording but is still like as you said crystal clear there was a lot of time spent on really refining the mixes for the album to sort of try and also fit that into both worlds. If you listen to modern jazz or modern recordings, they sound modern. This obviously needed to not have that sound to it, but it still couldn't be like muddy or old sound either. Like it had to had to be both. So I think Jeremy did a, an incredible job of really finding the balance between vintage and clarity. Thinking about it now, there was a lot of facets that we sort of had to take into consideration. But I mean, we sort of did one thing at a time too. So Again, it's that same sort of baby steps. And these mixes, there was so many mixes too, because we did 56 or whatever tracks on the album. The way that we recorded them is that in order to keep things from getting too repetitive, I guess, in the game itself, because we knew people were going to be dying and starting all over all the time. Almost every boss track has multiple mixes where there's different solos, right? So you might hear a good example of this actually is if you listen to the tune High Seas Hijinks on the soundtrack and then watch there's like a making of video that got posted about a month ago on YouTube for High Seas Hijinks and it's like a video of the recording session.
and it's the same tune and, and it's the same session where we recorded that tune but you'll hear different solos in each one i forget how many like jeremy said there's hundreds and hundreds of different mixes in the game we had been working on those mixes for well over a year i think so there was a lot of time the amount of work for him just to do all those was incredible but he was always able to also sort of keep refining things and then applying those to the mixes he'd already finished sort of like update them to that speaking of the recording process how did you guys find players? I assume you did some of the performance, but did you go out and contract like a group or was it individual instruments? I played on a little bit of it. I played on some of the ragtime stuff and the percussion stuff. But uh, I knew for the ragtime band, it wasn't going to be super essential to have players who were necessarily super familiar with each other. So in that case, I more or less hired people who I was friends with and who I wanted to play in a little group with for you know a day or two in the studio the big band was more of a concern because you really need it's the same with the orchestra stuff too like you can put together a pickup orchestra of freelance players and they can be like the top players and they can sit down and read anything and it's going to sound right and it's going to sound great but they're not going to have that synergy or familiarity with each other like that's things like professional orchestras professional big bands the thing that sets them apart from people who are just as talented, just as musical, and just as great of readers, is that they have that familiarity with each other. So we knew that that's what we were going to need to find. And I think really early on, for a very short period, when we started working on the soundtrack of the game, Chad was like, well, we're not going to have much of a music budget, so like we'll just go MIDI on that kind of stuff. And then as soon as the game got big after E3, it was like, okay, now we know we need to hire professional musicians. And instantly in my mind, I was like, we got to hire the boss brass. Boss Brass, they were a big band in Canada. They formed in 1968, and I think they ended in around 1999. They were essentially like arguably Canada's greatest big band. And the leader, Rob McConnell, it was his band for a long time, or for the, it was always his band, and he passed away in 2010. But a lot of the guys who played in that band are still around, and it was based out of Toronto. I was like, we gotta get the Boss Brass, or whoever we can get from the Boss Brass, to play on this, because they're killer musicians but also they understand how to play with each other properly. Most of them, they're freelance players around town, so they were super interested in this gig, and they had a fun time, I think, in the studio, maybe reminiscing and playing together again. I mean, like, a lot of them play together in different configurations all the time anyways, but if we had just hired top session players who maybe weren't as familiar with each other, the soundtrack also would have been great, but it would have been missing some sort of spark, I think. Yeah, you, you were able to get a group of dynamic players who just owned this for years, and they just rolled back into the studio and did their thing, and you can totally hear that in the soundtrack. It sounds like they had fun, I think. The, it was not easy music. I know that they were someone who doesn't really know how to write big band music, writing really fast big band music. There's going to be some awkward things in it, but there was no grumbling about anything. They sat down, and they were like, wow, this is 
lot of notes and it's very fast. And then they, they proceeded to uh, play it awesomely. <laughs> so, I mean, we're lucky in Toronto that we have that talent pool to choose from as well. So did they play on most of the major big band pieces in the game? All the big band pieces are them. And then there's the Ragtime group, which plays on most of the overworld stuff and Elder Cattle's theme. I'm playing drums in that group. And then there's the Ragtime piano stuff, which is piano solo or piano and percussion. So that was kind of another thing for the platforming levels. Who was responsible for the vocals? Because there are a few vocal tracks. There's the two groups. There's the Barbershop Quartet, and they're called Shoptimus Prime. Okay, good. They have a great name. Well, Cuphead and his Pelmug man, they like to roll the dice. By chance they came upon Devil's Game, and gosh, they paid the price. Paid the price. And now they're fighting for their lives on a mission fraught with dread. And if they proceed but don't succeed, well, the devil will take their heads. Two of them are based in Toronto and two of them are, I believe, in Rochester, which is just over the border. They get together all the time and sing in, I think, both Canada and the States. But Chad was actually the original guy that found them, because if you watch some of the like super early gameplay footage from like really early conferences that we went to, the title screen has them singing. I think it's their own composition, I assume. Like they had sort of just threw something together for that. And then I, I wrote the thing that ended up being in the final game for them. And then there's we were very lucky to find Alana Bridgewater, who is Toronto based singer and actress. With that unbelievable vocal range, obviously. So she sang the King Dice theme and the credits as well. I'm Mr. King Dice. I'm the gamest in the land. I never play nice. I'm the devil's right-hand man. I can't let you pass, cause you ain't done everything. Bring me those contracts. Come on, bring them to the king. If you haven't finished your plans, haven't worked assiduously, no, I cannot let you pass. Don't you mess with me. Don't mess with King Dice. Don't mess with me. Don't mess with King Dice. Don't mess with me. It's just mind-boggling how many talented people you got together for this project. Like, I, w- I did not know what to expect when I hit play on this album. <laughs> it's so cool. There's definitely some pretty weird stuff on there, too, in, in a lot of ways. and pretty different than a lot of game soundtracks. But we, I think we had 42 musicians uh, all told at the end, which is quite a few. Looking back on the soundtrack, how do you think that your experiences and career as, as a percussionist prepared you for this soundtrack? Because I know you weren't specifically schooled in big band, but the things that you did learn, what do you think you drew from that? What were some of the great lessons that you're able to bring into this soundtrack? I've been a, I guess, quote unquote, professional musician for 10 or 15 years now, I guess. Like that's where I've made most of my living, fortunately. And the bulk of that has been orchestral playing, but I still like, I like listening to a lot of things. I like playing drum set when I can, and I still study it. Music is music at a certain point. 
you know, you always want to seek other people's advice or opinions too and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? But for a lot of it, I was able to just use a certain amount of my own experience to be able to listen to something and say, like, objectively, is this, is this work or does it not work? If the answer is this is not working, then hopefully, like, just being a musician, I can maybe figure out, like, okay, what is not working about this? My professional skill set is quite different than what I used to write for Cuphead. But at the same time, it's still music and it's still, like, I like to think that I have a little bit of common sense, at least, to sort of be able to problem solve, I guess. Problem solving comes in many forms as well. I knew that I had to do the listening. I knew I had to do a lot of reading research. I knew I had to find a good teacher. I was able to accept to myself, this is what I got to do. When you become a professional at whatever you do, maybe like younger people are like, oh, once I get this job or whatever, then I can finally like relax. And it's, you know, I still practice three to four hours a day, typically, like that's probably going to be until I retire. That's what I sort of, you know, you have to keep up the skills and you have to sort of keep pushing yourself in a lot of ways. So so what do you think Cuphead taught you? Because you put the work in, you did a ton of research and a ton of work and eventually came out three hours of music. How do you think you changed as a musician through that? I've wanted to write for a long time. Like I've always sort of had a very small composition bug and I've written a little bit, but not very much. And this gave me the opportunity just to sit down and do it, which was sort of huge, I guess. Taking that first step and then sort of diving in is its own extremely large and important lesson. I feel now like if something else comes up that I'm interested in doing that I have no experience for, I might be have a bit more confidence in just saying like, okay, yeah, sure. And next time you'll have to write six hours of music. <laughs> and- I, you never know. I mean, I'm not going to, I still have no urge to become any sort of freelance composer. Like I enjoy being a performer and that's, it takes up a lot of my time, but that's what I like doing. If Chad and Jared, they do a different game or if they did a sequel to Cuphead, which I'd like to go on record as saying that's, I'm not saying that's happening or, or not happening. Just to be clear, but if they did do a Cuphead 2, and if they asked me to be a part of it, then that would be great. The project would have to be an interesting project. I don't just feel like taking anything that comes my way at this point. That's awesome. I love that mentality. That's actually super cool. You're willing to try stuff, even if you haven't done it before, and even if there's no precedent for it. If it's an interesting experiment, if it's something that's going to help you grow, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, what's what's the worst that can happen? Also, <laughs> is the... <laughs> I feel like the plot of Cuphead is like an examination of that. But yeah, that's that is true. Yeah. To wrap up all of this, if people really like what they hear in Cuphead, do you have any recommendations on where they should look next to find more cool jazz music? All of the influences that were on Cuphead are listed in the credits to the album. That's a good place to look. If they want to listen to more stuff from that era, there's a lot of great music from that era. And there's a lot of quite generic. A lot of that stuff was more written for like dancing and just to get people on the dance floor and sell some drinks and whatever. 30s club music, basically. Yeah, some of it was written as concert music and some of it wasn't. So there's a lot of stuff which is not particularly interesting. And then there's a lot of stuff which is very exciting. Benny Goodman, super exciting. Cab Calloway, obviously. Count Basie is great. Any Count Basie stylings never made it into Cuphead. We couldn't figure out any place where his music would have worked. But for me, like the top was Duke Ellington.
such an interesting composer and he was extremely prolific. Even the stuff which is not considered his top work is still completely fearless in the way that he wrote music. And he was always willing to experiment and he has just the most wild voicing sometimes which just sound like no one else was writing like that. And that was kind of like most of his career which was decades and decades long. He wrote so much that he was like incredibly prolific and most of it, if not all of it, you can find extremely interesting. And if anyone's interested in more ragtime stuff, Scott Joplin. Again, like there was a lot of people doing ragtime at that era, and a lot of it's really exciting. And a lot of it is kind of, eh, whatever. But you can take a piece of Scott Joplin music and you cannot add or take away a single note and make that piece any better. In my opinion, anyways, his music is incredibly refined and super elegant. Yeah, and it's hard to do that. At least I feel in a genre that could be so topsy-turvy and kind of scattershot if you're not careful. I think that's the thing. Like, he was just more, I think, thoughtful about it than maybe some other ragtime composers, I guess. So, and, and that's not bad-mouthing anyone, but this is just, like, the best, you know? And speaking of ragtime, this is kind of a side question. In Funfair Fever, uh, specifically... Is that a little Super Mario World homage? It is not a Super Mario World homage. I get asked this a lot. It sounds quite similar. If I'd heard the Super Mario soundtrack at any point, it would have probably been like 20 years since I've heard that. And now I need to go, I've been meaning to for a while because people keep asking about that. It's funny because like, out of all of the quotes and things that are in that soundtrack that people haven't noticed or found, like there's something which is a total accident. Everyone's like, oh, this is where that's from. When Koji Kondo wrote that, that kind of idea was already like 80 or 90 years old. It is highly coincidental that it sounds the same. If I had heard that, I probably would have gone out of my way to make it a lot different. <laughs> but I'm kind of glad it's there. But it's interesting, like, this sort of actually brings up a larger question. You know, we were trying to be super conscious of this during the whole process, too. Like, when you're enlisted to create something in some sort of pre-existing genre, and we'll use ragtime as an example. Like, if you want to write a piece of legitimate sounding ragtime music, you're going to have to use a bunch of tropes and cliches, which you didn't invent, essentially. You're trying to find your own voice in there, but then you're also stuck in a very predefined sort of thing. That progression is just a string of secondary dominance, which is quite common. And then that two over three, that's called the secondary ragtime rhythm. And then like, da, 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 or the way the phrase ends, right? It's the same thing as da 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 da. The end of that phrase is all over ragtime stuff, right? So those are like, it's funny, like a lick like that is, in my opinion, what defines ragtime as ragtime. Right. Like for me, and I think a lot of people, it's just like a very brief but distinct moment where it finally clicks in your head. Super Mario World has been ragtime music all along and nobody knew it. Well, a lot of people know it. But I think most people who play Super Mario World have no connection that that was so specifically based on such an old classic style of music. It's kind of neat. 
it's a pretty obscure, like, you know, for like modern folks, it's a pretty obscure corner of musical history in a way. Like it, ragtime music didn't last. It's only like a couple decades that it was a thing. But it's funny, like I thank Koji Kondo in the credits for a totally different reason though. So Elder Kettle's theme, there's like a ragtime waltz, right? In the Mario games, every time there's a water world, it's a waltz. And so originally, two and a half years ago, there was maybe going to be a water world in the game. So I kind of got my thinking hat on. And we'd already done a pretty standard Joplin-esque ragtime, which would be Inkwell Isle number one, and then 6-8 March ragtime, which was Inkwell Isle two. And then I was like, okay, well, we can do like a ragtime-y kind of waltz. Obviously, there's no water world anymore, but that ended up working really well for Elder Kettle. So That's super cool. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of where, you know... Like, He's in there somewhere. I like yeah. that. I mean, he's obviously he's a master. If I took it directly from there, I would absolutely own it. <laughs> but uh, it's almost more like I don't want to take credit for purposely doing something. But I mean, there's a very obvious Final Fantasy VI riff in there, and it's an homage to Uematsu because he's also incredible. And it's funny, I to an extent purposely didn't try to listen to any or to like study any video game music while doing this. Like, Chad sent me some things from the game. He was like, check out this level from Gunstar Heroes or, you know, this track from, like, Streets of Rage or something. And, you know, like, this is the... The tunes need to be this exciting. But there was no... I didn't go back and listen to really any video game music for this because I kind of wanted to not get too much influence from the concept of gaming music and take more from the jazz side thing. So To me, that was really the right decision because it feels so perfectly what it should be. Well, I guess that kind of brings us to the end of this interview. Man, that was just 100% fascinating. I'm so glad you're able to take the time to talk about this game a little bit. Oh, it's my, my pleasure, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on here. Oh, definitely. Final question for real. Where can people find out more about you and your music? Well, my website is chrismadigan.com. K-R-I-S-M-A-D-D-I-G-A-N. Probably just Googling Cuphead Composer is easier. But you can go to my Twitter page through there. And if you're interested in the soundtrack, I am 8-Bit is selling the vinyl version of it, which looks and sounds awesome. But also at studiomdhr.bandcamp.com is where you can find if you want to buy the digital soundtrack. But fortunately, also on that page, the complete uh, credits, like the musician credits, and then all of my thank yous and the musical influences are all on there. So that's a, that's a good way to maybe, uh, if you're wanting to learn a bit more about who was on the soundtrack, that's a good place to go. Yes, definitely check that out. It should have been out on iTunes, I think, last week. So it should be out maybe by the time this airs. It'll be on iTunes and Spotify as well. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks very much, Chris. Again, it was a complete pleasure. This soundtrack will continue to exist just on loop on my computer and phone for a long time. I'm glad to hear it. All right. Well, now we're going to head back to the show. We'll see you over there. Welcome to the big ones, a look at popular game music and what makes it so loved. This week is all about the tough as nails Fleischer cartoon inspired game, Cuphead. Cuphead is retro in both the way we expect and in ways we rarely seen in video games. The gameplay of Cuphead is essentially Contra with an emphasis on boss fights, but the aesthetic is 100% 30s cartoons, particularly the works of Fleischer Studio. 
The graphics are all hand-drawn and hand-inked, resulting in a beautiful and authentic style. And the music is just as strong and true to the era. So let's watch some old cartoons and listen to some big band. Music and 30s animation are linked in an inescapable way. Many of these animation series had musical names like Silly Symphonies from Disney, Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies from Warner Brothers, Happy Harmonies from MGM, and Color Rhapsodies from Columbia. In fact, Looney Tunes was originally created essentially as an advertisement for Warner Brothers' musical library. All the prominent cartoons I could find from the era featured popular music from that time, which was usually big band jazz, with the occasional waltz and some classical and romantic era music thrown in. Cuphead has all these featured throughout, but big band is the style of choice. The soundtrack was composed by Chris Madigan and performed by 42 musicians, including a 13-piece big band. There's also a ragtime band and a barbershop quartet, with the silly name of Shoptimus Prime. Chris is a percussionist, pianist, and vibraphonist, which might be a word, so keep that in mind throughout the soundtrack. Elder Kettle is the father, or maybe just father figure, for Cuphead and Mugman, so his music has a nostalgic ragtime waltz to it. The style of the game is inspired by the 30s, but ragtime dates back to the late 1800s. It's funny thinking of a throwback game having throwbacks within it, but there you go. Floral Fury is one of my favorite tracks from the game. It's got an old school Latin flair with cassinets, guitar, syncopated horns, and unique drums. boss this plays over even does some Latin dance moves. Sugarland Shimmy features a fast rhythm section and busy horns. It reminds me of the Benny Goodman classic Sing 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 with the solo drum intro and similar melody. A majorly influential song that I haven't mentioned yet is Powerhouse by Raymond Scott. This is one of the top songs you've heard but you probably don't know the name of. dozens of Looney Tunes shorts. The fast pace of the first section reminds me a lot of the running gun sections of Cuphead, especially Botanic Panic. It even has a similar sound to the drums.
finally, I want to talk about King Dice. I'm Mr. King Dice. I'm the gamest in the land. I never play nice. I'm the devil's right hand man. His entire character is pretty strongly inspired by the jazz singer Cab Calloway. Both have zoot suits and the thin mustache, and King's Dice main theme, The Die House, is inspired by Cab Calloway's most famous song, Minnie the Moocher. Hey folks, here's a story about Minnie the Moocher. She was a low-down, huge coocher. She was the roughest, toughest, frail. Minnie had a heart as big as a whale. Heidi, 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 ho! With a call and response section at the end of the song. Don't mess with King Don't mess with me. Don't mess with King His quote when you get beaten during his boss fight even says, Hody ho. Minnie the Moocher was also the name of a great Betty Boop short, which features a rotoscope version of Callaway singing and dancing as a giant walrus ghost thing. It's really weird, but you should totally check it out. Although his style is Cab Callaway, King Dice's voice is different, being a little more gravelly like Louis Armstrong than the high scatting of Cab Callaway. But the influences are hard to shape. His singing voice was performed by Alana Bridgewater. Talk about vocal range. Cuphead is such a fun game with an incredible aesthetic. The 1930s style makes me feel nostalgic for a time when my grandparents were children, while also scratching a retro gaming itch. And the music is perfectly authentic with the ragtime and big bands. Chris Madigan knocked it out of the park with the compositions, and the performances are genuinely jaw-dropping. The style is so peppy and driving that it'll keep you motivated, even when fighting that stupid junkyard road for the 30th time in a row. Thanks for listening, and listen well. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Overclocked Podcast. I hope that your toes are permanently tapping and you literally cannot stop them because of all that dang jazz. I know I can't, Stephen. <laughs> oh, good. We might have to get that medically checked out. If you want to find out more about the Overclocked Podcast and OC Remix itself, you can do that at www.ocremix.org. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at OCR Podcast. And hey, don't forget to send us an email at podcast at ocremix.org. That is a great way to get in touch with us. Tell us funny stories. I don't know, whatever you want to do with that. Mm -hmm. Oh, and before I forget, Discord as well. You can find that pinned on our Twitter page. And I want to thank Chris Madigan so much for the interview. It was definitely, it was great and very, very insightful. I love, I love hearing people just be really passionate about what they do, you know? Yes, sir. It was amazing. <laughs> thank you so much to Peter for editing this episode. I suppose I shouldn't be thanking myself for this segment, but that's what this page says, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can do it, though. Right. Thank you, Matthew, for not only creating that no doubt delightful segment, mm. But co-hosting as well. You're a pretty dang good replacement for my brother. Well, thank you so much. And also, while I'm here, I'm sorry, but I got to plug my thing real quick. 
Um, you can check out uh, Major Third on YouTube. I haven't posted in like a year, but there's still some great videos on there. And also, if you like kung fu movies and people talking about them, completely unrelated to this, but you can listen to the Heroes 3 podcast that I do with Marty Brueggemann of the Brueggemann Brothers, the Mercado Brothers and all that. And Carlos, who I know is listening, and he's awesome. And you're the best, Carlos. Hi, Carlos. Yeah, those are some of the best, nicest people you're going to meet in the world when I talk about cool movies. So I really don't understand why you don't want to listen to that. <laughs> Go do it. All right. Well, thanks very much, Matthew. That was a delight. I'm going to go maybe take some cough drops and a nap as well. That sounds like a very good idea. Before that happens, let's lull me off to sleep with some jazz music in this week's playlist. Playlist is a weekly collection of listener-submitted recommendations so we can all discover music together. This week's theme is jazz music. Karen's theme from Street Fighter V and submitted by Black Doom. Sent straight to my heart from Gunpoint and submitted by Joseph G.
Music for Everyone's Souls from Persona Music Live Band and submitted by Phoenix Down. is the winter, originally from Final Fantasy VI, remixed by Mustin, and submitted by Square Evil.
Secret of the Forest, originally from Chrono Trigger, remixed by Contraband, and submitted by Yorito. Divinity, originally from The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, remixed by Nostalvania, and submitted by Jeremy.
Pyrite Town from Pokemon Coliseum and submitted by Flurry of Flames. High Tone Fandango from Grim Fandango and submitted by Ino. Interlude from Sonic Before the Sequel and submitted by Sothen.
Gornarian Elevator, originally from Star Fox, remixed by A Fox in Space, and submitted by Jack. You've been listening to the Overclock Podcast. Next week's playlist is Christmas music. Sprinkle the podcast with holiday cheer and wintry music. To submit your suggestions, or just say it's the most wonderful tune of the year, hit us up on Twitter at OCR Podcast. Email us at podcast at ocremix.org or visit us on the forums at ocremix.org. This week's lyrical wisdom? Well, Cuphead and his pal Mugman, they like to roll the dice. By chance, they came upon a devil's game, and gosh, they paid the price. Paid the price. <laughs>